Okay, so check this out. We are in our series, The God Who Sees, and we're at the halfway point, right? I can't tell you after two messages um, how much God has, has worked on me, um, how blessed I have been to hear your stories, um, whether that's you're, you're in a period of grieving or you know, you're sitting in here with your spouse and maybe you're going through a struggling time. Whatever it is, God is on the move. God is indeed on the move in this church and among his people, and it has been so sweet to me. And so here's the thing, I want to encourage you today, for those of you that keep saying, hey, I've gotta bring tissues to come in the message, my goal is not to make you cry, okay? My goal is to, if you need to, then praise be to God, weep, right? We talked about that last week. But my goal in my heart, as we turn a corner here at the midpoint in this series, is that you walk out encouraged, and you know where your source of strength comes from. Where, therefore, does your hope lie in the midst of deep and abiding grief? And so we're making, we're, we're turning a corner here. We're, we're kinda, we dipped down a little bit. We dealt with some very difficult things. We're still going to address some difficult challenges, but guess what? We're on the way up. We're on the way up. And we're gonna see the goodness of God in greater detail through his word this morning. And the message title this morning is Unshakable Hope. And before I get, I wanna mention one more time, they mentioned it up there. If you have a single thought about being a life group leader, now is your time. We need you. I want you to be a part of this. I want to see what God wants to nurture and foster in your, in your passions and in your abilities because there is something you were good at that somebody else is not. God has called you for an express purpose of gathering with his people and raising up disciples, right? So please keep that in mind. And let's do our memory verse this morning because it's so fitting. I love how the music, the catechism, and the memory verse this morning comes from Philippians 1.6. And it says this as a church, God began a good work in you. And I am sure that he will carry it on until it is completed. That will be on the day Christ Jesus returns. Praise be to God for that. That we have this hope. We know that our king is coming again. We also know that along the journey, he will finish the work he started in you. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you would turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. We, are, uh, we can never express within our limited capacities uh, the, the wonder, the blessing, the greatness of who you are, God, and why you would ever involve us in your story. And God, we are so grateful that we have an unshakable hope in the promises and the character of who you are. Uh, I pray that we would receive your word today and you would make us more like your son, Jesus. And as a church, we all said, amen. Amen, right? So this is exciting. I used to, I love doing this. I, I picked this up years ago in the small Baptist church to which I became a Christian. It's a little joke I tell people sometimes just to, 
mess with their mind. Um, if you're a Christian, you'll probably get it pretty quick. If you're a Christian and you don't get it, I'm not judging you. Sometimes we gotta think hard about things, right? Some, I know everybody got Rona brain. That's what I keep hearing from people. I'm a little cloudy because of Rona. Got it. So, but I tell people, I said, what does this mean? A man born once will die twice, but a man born twice will die once and maybe not once. Fascinating, isn't it? When you think about it, some of you are smiling because you get it. It's like, oh, I know what he's talking about. And we have this beautiful display of God's goodness. You see, a man born once, born of the flesh. Remember when, he, when uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and John? In the, John, in the Gospel of John, right? And he tells them that you what? Must be born of that and of water and of spirit, right? So there's a difference. And so if you're born once and you're born into the flesh, but you have yet to be redeemed, you will die a physical death and then you will die a spiritual death, as we talked about in our catechism this morning. You will experience the wrath of God, right? We don't shy away from that in this church. And yet, but, if you're born twice, born into this world physically and born of the Spirit of God, you are a new creation. That's what Ephesians 2.10 tells us, right? You are his worksmanship, right? If you're born twice, you'll die physically, but death has been defeated, and you will be in eternity forever with the King of glory. And here's the thing, you may not die physically, you and I may be, no promises, we're not doing any timelines, we're not going crazy in here, all right? So those of you that have been trying to plot the end of the world, give it up. You lose. We know who wins, but you're not going to figure it out, and neither am I. And that's okay, right? That's okay. We spent half the time we spent trying to figure out and calculate the end of the times, putting that energy into sharing the gospel with people would make a lot more difference, wouldn't we? Make a lot more difference. But here's the thing. If the Lord came back now, then we wouldn't die, Right? We'd not. We'd be changed. We'd be changed. So praise be to God for that. And so we have this passage. He's addressing the church in Thessalonica. He's telling them they're concerned about those that have went to the Bible. The scriptures use sleep. We know that sleep is related to death. That is what he is, in fact, referring to. Now, what I want you to do is back up just a few verses while you're there. We've got a lot of scripture today. I just want you to camp in 1 Thessalonians, though, okay? I just want you to camp there. But if you back up a little bit in this, he says what? In the context of this passage, verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. This is God's will for our life. Our sanctification is mentioned in verse 3a. So how can we see our sanctification in light of our grief? Sanctification just meaning continually growing in the grace of God, continually becoming more like Jesus Christ. We need to use that as our lens for everything. As we pursue our grief, when we understand the hope that we have in the King of glory, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises to us, how do I view my suffering through the lens of God's sanctifying process in my life? How do I interpret it? And we should interpret our world that way. Do Christ's promises still hold true while you're in pain and suffering, yes or no? Of course they do. Of course they do. We had a, a cool thing the other day. You know, again, I've told you several times throughout this series, God has been working on my heart while we're preaching this series. This has been the greatest gift that my brother, Pastor Josh, has given me was to say, hey, man, I need you to take this series and preach it. And I did so uh, with eagerness and hesitation at the same time, right? Because you don't want to mess it up. Ask any pastor that gets up here to preach. Don't botch it. It's his word, not mine. So every time he does the same thing, you get up here and you're like, I need to get out of the way. I need to decrease so Christ can be increased in my life. It needs to be his word. It needs to be his power. It needs to be his grace 
ain't got nothing to do with me. And yet God has been working on me in extraordinary ways as we've prepped for these messages. The other day we were, we live on base so we couldn't do a whole lot of fireworks without the uh, uh, security forces coming and knocking on our doors and wondering if they're under attack. And so we were down in Stanley and we started doing these, we lit up some sparklers. So my kids, five and seven, we don't give them the big explosives, right? They'll lose a hand. And uh, we're lighting these sparklers. And I, I realized in that moment, you know, we're still going through some stuff. It's still challenging day to day. There are still moments where we cry and we weep. A lot has happened. The world is different. And we're lighting these sparklers. And the first one lights up. And then the golden ones, I guess it just seemed heavenly because it's gold, right? And we light one up, and it occurred to me, and I said, kids, watch this. I said, so I have this right here, this sparkler, and it is lit. And I take the, my other child's, and I said, watch this, kids. This light is the light of the gospel. And watch. And there's another one. And then they take theirs and light ours. And I said, this is how this works, is that we have the shining light of the gospel for a world in darkness. And we share it, and we reclaim it until he comes again or until he comes and takes us home first. And so why do I share that? Why does that matter when I talk about unshakable hope? Because the gospel is, in fact, our hope. It is the hope that will not be shaken. And it's not like we're putting it in some ethereal concept, right? You put faith and hope that when you go outside and start your vehicle today that you're going to be able to go home, right? Otherwise, you're going to have to come in here and pray for a long time, and we're all going to leave, and we'll see you next Sunday when we get back. There's food in the kitchen, okay? So if you get stranded... But nonetheless, you're putting your hope in your vehicle. You're putting your hope in the chair that you sit in that it doesn't collapse when you sit down. You have a kind of hope. You put hope in people. What have people done in your life? They have failed you, haven't they? Right? Because we're sinners among sinners in a fallen world. Put your hope in God, and that is a very different thing. That's a very different thing because the promises of God hold true. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, we do not grieve as the world does. When I told you my story the last two weeks, most of it, the world looks at that and says, that is absolutely insane that you would continue to believe in the goodness of God. It does not make sense to them. It doesn't. But we don't grieve as the world does. You know, St. Augustine said it this way, and I have this, I pinned this quote on a lot of my email lines. He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, talking about God. You see, the anxieties and the challenges and the difficulties that come into our life, the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the loss, you'd be restless if you don't have a hope that you can anchor your soul into, and that is Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel that he's given to us. And so my first point this morning is this. Even in grief, our hope cannot be shaken because of Christ and his promises. See, I could have left it and said our hope cannot be shaken, but it needs an object, something it's linked to, and that is the promises of God in Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, the very first message in this series, we, we dealt with Abraham's lineage, right? And we talked about Hagar and Ishmael, not the promised line, but yet God kept them and preserved them. Why? Because God's covenant promises he made with Abraham. Because God's promises hold true. He does not change. He is the faithful one when we are faithless. God's promises hold true. And so they're concerned about those that have died before them. 
We find in scriptures, I've referred to as well as John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, of course, Thomas, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him what? These famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The way, the truth, the life. The life. The stories I've heard in our church, our church across the board is going through a lot of mourning and suffering right now. And for whatever reason, in God's providence, he saw fit that we would be walking through this journey. And I feel that every time I stand up here and throughout the week that we're walking this together. You have no idea how much you've blessed me by being transparent sharing your own stories. To know that my brothers and sisters in this church are grappling with things like that and that we can pray together and that we can mourn together and that we can carry the weight together, that we're not alone, makes a difference. It makes a difference and it brings glory to God. But he is, in fact, the life. You have the famous John three sixteen. I always wanna to point to 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God extends his goodness and his grace to a reprobate people. Stiff-necked, we're no different than the nation of Israel when you read about them or we read about the, the uh, disciples when they do things and we're like, huh, I can't believe they did that. And you're like, do it every day. <laughs> Praise be to God that he's patient with me. Praise be to God. I was talking with Lachelle the other night and I said, you know, one of the things that God has been telling me in this season, we've been praying and I've been looking through the scriptures and I said, I asked her, I said, if you could ask God, if you could ask Jesus when that time comes, one singular question, have you ever thought about it? What would you ask? Right, And it used to be things like, well, you know, what was it like to do this and stuff like that? And it hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I looked at my wife and I said, Michelle, I said, you know what I would ask Jesus? Why me? Why me? Why'd you save me? All the people. What do I bring to the table, God? I'm, I'm stubborn. Sometimes I'm a little... A, a, a little snobbish about things and a little bullheaded, right? I don't always say the things I should do. I don't always love as well as I should love, right? And say, God, why me? Why me? And the reason that I ask that question is because I know with certainty that I am his and he is mine. And I ask God, why me? Because that tells me that in God's good providence and his promises in my life that those that have gone before me, I shall see again in glory. I don't know why God chose me. But it was for his glory and for my good. Find this in 1 John 2.25 and, and this is the promise that, made, that he made to us. Eternal life. Hebrews 10.23 where we're at. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is Faithful. Philippians 1, 6, we did this morning, amen, right? And I'm sure this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians 15, 19, told you lots of scripture this morning. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If it's only ever for this life, then what are we doing? Are you kidding me? This life only? You know, I got to, <laughs> I got to, uh, uh, Robbie Latham, uh, brother, friend, obviously, those of you know him, many of you, uh, he does his insurance sales and stuff, and I, I love the guy. I think he's fantastic, and he brought something to my attention the other day. You know, he deals with life insurance policies and whatnot, and you should have a plan, but I got to thinking, and we got to talking about it, I said, you know, do we think enough about our eternity, though? Do we? I mean, we plan, we do all these things, we make sure that our affairs are in order here, but do we think about our eternity enough? Because that is the promise inheritance for the believer. And if you're outside of that promise, then it's not, right? But do we think on that often enough? Not the whole so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? I get that. We have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a destiny, but this life is like a vapor. Do we invest time in thinking about our eternal state? I would submit to you, probably not. You know, I joked with somebody, I said, oh, the prophet Denzel Washington said, you'll never find a U-Haul behind a hearse. Can't bring anything with you, right? Plan accordingly, but be mindful that this is a temporary home, that we are citizens of heaven, as Paul would say in Philippians. G.I. Packer says it this way, and it's not kind of that kooky optimism. It's like, everything's gonna be okay. No, some days are hard. Some days, I said last week, you wanna know, God, where are you in my life? What is going on? I don't feel your presence. What is happening? And J.R. Packer says this, optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of this life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth, on the basis of God's own commitment, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, I have to, we have to address that, right? Because the world will tell you the best is yet to come, talking about the here and the now. And maybe, perhaps, God has something in store as you continue to grow. And I know that to be true, right? That he's continually working on us. He's continually changing us to make us more like his son, Jesus. But the best that is yet to come, brothers and sisters, is in the heavenly places with the king of glory forever. That is the best that is yet to come. That one day, by God's grace, those of us that are his will be in eternity forever with him in worship. We'll be reunited. Where there's no cancer, there's no pain, there's no sadness, there's no tears, there's no anger, there's glory to God in the highest where we shout with joy, holy, holy, holy is the king of glory. Praise be to God for that, that we've done nothing and God has done everything to bring us into that eternal peace, joy, happiness, and love. Like we can't even fathom that God has done for you and for me. Praise be to God for that, the king of glory. The one who in the very beginning of scripture hovered over the deep and spoke things into existence called you and called me and said, rest in the assurance of my promises for you. Though this life may bring you pain and it will indeed bring you pain and sorrow and suffering, look to Jesus Christ. 
Look to Jesus. My second point this morning is this. Seek the Lord that your hope may be renewed. Seek the Lord. Again, my wife and I, we've been talking a lot about this kind of stuff. I say, you know, what would be the, what is the fleshly response to when the pressure and the pain is on, right? I mean, I joked with her. I said, there's so much stuff going on in our world, and many of you are going through much worse than I'm aware of now. But I said, there's so much going on. I said, I don't know. I said, you kind of feel like you just, you're like a squashed grape or a raisin. Like, you got no more juice to give. Like, what do you want me to do? And the thing is, well, first of all, don't rely on yourself, right? If you rely on yourself, you're going to run out, run on fumes. And I told her, I said, but what is the typical response? We were talking about counseling. You know, I used to not like counseling as much as I do now. And I said, what, what do we go to? We go to things. We go and we, we latch on to addictions or we, we turn to the bottle or we turn to other things. We turn to everything else that the world says will bring us uh, consolation that will comfort us and it never satisfies, does it? It never satisfies. Was it, oh, you're hurting. Oh, you're hurting. Medicate. I'm not opposed to medication. I'm not. God has given people wisdom for such things. But you see, that becomes the primary means of which we try to find consolation, doesn't it? So, oh, I'm hurting. Let me have another drink. That will never console you. Your hope will never be renewed by the things of this world. You must go to God. He's the author of these things, of hope, of peace, of joy, of contentment. One of the things that has helped me, my hope has started to be restored personally, is that through all of this stuff, I find myself asking God, not why did it happen, but what are you doing in my life to make me more like your son? You say, it's not fair to lose people at such a young age. It's not fair for people to lose children. We say these things, and I feel the weight of that sentiment with you. Like, God, it doesn't seem right. But then I ask, God, okay, if you're not surprised by this, even though I am, what are you doing in my life? How are you making me more like Christ? What must I learn? What must I learn? from the circumstances. You say, I've talked to you last two weeks, okay, my mom is gone, right? Not gonna be here this side of eternity again, and I know that. And it's a process. For many of you, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. It is a process to stop picking up, trying to pick up the phone and call. It is a process when the holidays come. It is a process when birthdays come. It's a process of healing. And yet what I have learned, and what God has been revealing to me, and he's been patient with me, is that I must learn to find my satisfaction, my peace on this side of eternity in him alone. Not my mother, not my wife, not my children, not my job, in him. That is a tough pill to swallow, amen? That's hard. I'm not even, I'm not even lying to you. That's hard. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my mother. I love my dad, who's doing better now. And yet, if God took all of that away, I must continually ask myself, I don't desire that, I don't pursue that, is Jesus enough for me? 
Is he enough for you? Is he satisfying your soul? We will all come into contact with that type of question. Like I said last week, do we have a good theology of suffering? Do we understand that suffering is normative for the Christian? I mean, you ever seen the historical circumstances of how some of the apostles died? Peter, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. And so history tells us that he was crucified, what, upside down? Or you have, we could say with Paul, you ever thought, man, can I say with Paul to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Can I say that with any honesty in my heart? These are the things that I pray that God's spirit as he moves in you brings you to the realization that you can say with Paul such things. To live is Christ. For the short time that you and I are here to live is for him and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth because that is the only promise that reigns true. It's the only one. That Jesus Christ is Lord and that he came for sinners and that there's this good gospel that secures our eternity, but to live as Christ. And then also to, on the other side of that is to say, but to die his gain. I mean, if you've ever just read Paul from, without trying to see it from a Christian perspective, which is very difficult, I understand you really can't, is to be like, man, this, this guy's a madman. Like, you just couldn't stop him. You couldn't. He's like, well, I'm still here, still got a thorn in the flesh to live as Christ, so I'm gonna preach the gospel. I'm gonna shipwreck, I'm gonna get bit by a snake, my life is gonna be hard, be left for dead twice. He tells us about it. And then he says, but to die is gain. He understood that his inheritance was in heaven. That he was eager for the day that he could say, well, that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so I wanna draw your attention to something as this, right? So you have Jeremiah 29, 11. We're all familiar with that one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We're tracking that one. The next part says, though, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do we seek God in times of trouble? Everybody's journey and timing is different. Everybody's journey and timing. The Lord knows if anything ever happened to my wife or kids, I'd be out, I, I feel at least, and God knows better than I do, right? I feel like I'd be out of commission for a while. <laughs> I would. And, um, and yet God knows the plans that he has for us, right? But my question to you is this. Wherever you are on the journey of grief and mourning, knowing that God in fact sees you and that he has given you his unshakable hope, have you let yourself get trapped there? Have you forgotten the hope and the promises of God? You see, because if you don't recognize that God is faithful and he is ever present, that when you seek him, you will always find him. The only person that ever moves in our relationship is us. We're not meant to stay in the valley of despair and sorrow. We are meant to mourn when mourning is warranted, and indeed it is a lot of times, and it's healthy and it's godly, we're commanded to do such things, and yet God says, what? I'm using this for my glory. Which therefore means what? We should do something with it. If you are trapped in your grief 
and you're mourning and you have been there for a long time, let me tell you what, you need to be set free from that because God is calling you to something greater, to share your heartache through the lens of the gospel with somebody. Somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs, the first two weeks of this series was very hard for me to be just raw and exposed and it's not because I feel uncomfortable, it's because it still hurts. And yet, I think by, from what I've heard from some people, knowing my story, God has taken that and has stirred the hearts of people. And if he gets glory out of it, that's good enough for me. And it should be good enough for you. But if you've stagnated and you've found yourself trapped, understand that God's promises hold true. And this life is too short to be stuck there and to never tell people, you know what, I was there, but God has brought me through this. There's a God that is faithful. Jude 1, 21 says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 1 Peter 5, 10, I love this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will restore you. He will bring you out of this season in your life. Pain and failure are two of the greatest teachers in my life. Are they yours? Pain and failure. I've never grown as much as I've grown than when I'm suffering or when I failed at something. Because both of them do the same thing. They force me into a greater dependency on the Lord Jesus. When I fail and feel like I've made great plans and something falls apart and I have to go to God and be like, I thought I had a good plan and it fell apart. Lord, I need you. And when I'm in pain and I have no answers but tears, God, be with me now. I need you more than ever. Need you more than ever. I needed you more than I needed you yesterday. And I'll need you more tomorrow than I did today. Walk with me, Lord. That's why we can say like the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet as he is known in history, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Is the Lord Jesus your portion? If everything was taken away, is he your portion? You see, because as the apostle says in 1 Thessalonians, we grieve as those that don't, not as those who have no hope. What does that mean? There are people that have no hope in their grief. And it will destroy people who have no hope. It will rob them of everything. The implication here is that there's a distinct Christian call a distinct Christian call to grieve in light of hope. We have that. Augustine says this, it is unavoidable after all that you should be saddened, but when you feel sad, let hope console you. It's unavoidable. Let hope console you. What hope? The hope offered by our God and our King. That hope. Let that be your consolation. And my third point is this. The God of all comfort shepherds you through the valley. 
He does. Not only did we, like we said in the first week, that God sees you in the valley, he shepherds you in the valley. I don't know if you're familiar, we've, we've quoted him several times, Pastor Josh as well. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, an Englishman, right? This guy struggled with depression and anxiety his whole life. I believe he was 22 when somebody shouted fire in his church and people, the end result was that people died and people got hurt. And he hurt over that. He hurt. He dealt with depression and anxiety. He dealt with physical ailments. By the time he was 33, he had all kinds of medical problems. And yet history remembers him, at least in the Christian tradition, as the prince of preachers. That he had such a command of voice and gift to speak, he didn't have any type of enhancements to do it. You see, God used this man. And he wrestled with those things his whole life. I'm not here to tell you today that to have a kind of goofy optimism that suggests that, oh, you're just gonna get over it and be okay and praise be to God. No, I'm saying, how is God shaping your heart in your grief? How is he shaping your heart in your grief? And have you submitted to his lordship in such a way that says, God, I have no answers, I have no plan, I am in pain. What therefore do you call your servant to? What are you calling me to do? This is not a surprise to you. So what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? Weep, sure. But share the good news, the promise, inheritance secured by Jesus Christ. There are people that you and I both know. There are funerals, in fact, going on today where people are given that false hope that's always hard to hear as a preacher. We have a service and you're like, heaven's gained another angel. Eh. No, not angels, people made in God's image, way more worthy and valuable based on that alone, right? Sorry if I broke somebody's tradition and really upset you with that. It's not like you're getting wings, okay? Just be real, I'm honest with you. But nonetheless, they get in there and they're like, you knew the fruits of this person's life and then you have a service and you're like, no, no, I know, I know. No, you don't understand, you don't understand. There are there's a kind of hope that comes when you know the heart of the person. You've seen the fruits of their life that they loved the Lord, however imperfectly. I would not tell you for a moment that my mother was the strongest Christian in the world. She had many questions. She loved to question the things of God. And that's great. Question away, right? Because God has answers. And you're gonna get to a point and it's gonna frustrate you where you're gonna go, well, I have to be content with knowing that God has the answer and I may never not. I mean, I may never have it on this side of glory. One day, sure. But there's something powerful and remarkable when we're faced with our own mortality at a funeral. We enter into this space when people are thinking about life and death like no other time and say, hey, I have this promised hope. I have this unshakable hope that I wanna give you. And so at every funeral, a pastor should indeed is commanded to, based on our commissioning, right, as believers, is to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our only hope. It is our only hope. First Peter 1, 6 7 says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, May we be found in the result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about, we've been joking as a staff, and I won't share it, 
but uh, we've been talking about the fire of God, right? You know, and the refining fire in the sense of making you pure. That the gold might realize after God has done his purification that it comes out more beautiful and precious on the other side of every circumstance that you and I face. That we are indeed precious in his sight. We are his children. And sometimes fire is going to come into our lives. But the end goal being on the other side of the pain that you've taken just one step further in closeness and in love of your Lord Jesus Christ. And so Spurgeon writes this, when the gold knows why and wherefore it is in the fire, it will thank the refiner for putting it into the crucible and will find a sweet satisfaction even in the flames. Even in the flames. If we weren't Christians, I'd sound like a crazy person. It's true. You would find, blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10, the Father of mercies and the God of what? All comfort. The God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. He does not abandon us. You find it very first, towards verse 10 there. He says, he delivered us from such deadly peril and will deliver us again on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so as I get to close here, I invite you with me, if you'd like. We've been doing this thing with the kids, trying to do our best as parents to shape their hearts, right? We have our memory verses, we do those. We've been walking through the Psalms together. But one that we do every night as a family, and it's been a great comfort, so if you would join me, we always read Psalm 23. Because there's so much poignant truth and power in this Psalm, right? And so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, what, forever, forever. We can't even grasp that concept. Forever? God, you, you shepherd me even now in my pain. When I doubt, when I have no answers, when I have nothing but tears, you shepherd me. You remind me of your great hope. You restore my soul. This is the goodness of God. This is his unshakable promise, our unshakable hope goodness of God. Let this one, Spurgeon again says this, let this one great, gracious, glorious fact lie in your spirit until it permeates all your thoughts and makes you rejoice even though you are without strength. Rejoice that the Lord Jesus has become your strength and your song. He has become your salvation. He's become your salvation. And so, 
we have an opportunity to celebrate the goodness and the promises of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion this morning. And I think, personally, not anything that I've done, but I think in God's goodness, what perfect time than to be reminded of the promised hope that we have in Him. Amen? And so, I'm going to pray and invite you to come down to receive the elements this morning. And bear that in mind, the unshakable hope of Jesus Christ for your life. Wherever you are, whether you're on that mountaintop or you're in that valley, God is constant and he shepherds your soul and restores it.